0: I'm <clears throat> um, pause. Okay. Um, so I want, I want to encourage you all to practice while you're listening. As part of practice, not, not in a formal way, but in a relaxed way, meaning being aware of what's happening for you right now, whatever it is, you know, whether you're warm or cold, or whether you're tired or energized, or whether you wished I hurried up or talked less, whatever it is, just be aware of what's here, and be aware particularly of your relationship to what's here. Are you being friendly? yourself, to whatever is here? Are you being kind to yourself while you're here? Is there some appreciation that you're here, meaning you're alive, this moment? Because you may not be in a few minutes. We, we don't know. right? And is there a little bit of balance for you to be here and be aware and be friendly and kind and appreciative of simply being here. And it doesn't mean all your problems go away. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm saying, oh, you can still be here and you will, I can assure you, you will still have problems, even if you're here. The Dharma isn't a problem solver in that way, but it does offer some possibilities to teach us how to be with things as they are, things as they are. And that's the radical um, orientation that the Buddha taught, to be with things as they are. And uh, periodically I ask, what would people like me to talk about and I have asked recently and somebody wanted me to talk one person wanted me to talk about metta love and kindness practice, somebody else wanted me to talk about compassion and so I thought I would talk a little about the Brahma Viharas, and then on an ongoing basis give a different talk on each of the Brahma Viharas. and so um, uh, So I'm going to end with a chant. We, I'm not a big chanter, but we, we do a little bit of chanting here. We're going to end with the chant. But I want to put the chant in your hearts and minds now. And hear the words of the chant. Sabe, sata, suki, hontu. Sabe, sata, sata, sata. Suki, suki, hontu. hontu. And it's a very simple and uh, common Buddhist chant. And the chant means in English, may all beings be well, or may all beings be happy. Sabe sata suki Hontu. And part of what is pointed to in the teachings is what's called the awakened heart, the awakened heart. And there's a beautiful quote that I've used many times from my good friend Ryokan, a Japanese monk who died a few hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. And Ryokan, he said, even if you consume as many books, even if you consume as many books as the sands of the Ganges, which is a lot of books if you've been to India. Even if you consume as many books as the sands of the kanjis, it is not as good as really catching one verse of Zen. If you want to know the secret of Buddhism, here it is. Everything is in the heart. Everything is in the heart. So that's the secret of Buddhism. I've given you the secret now. So we should get a lot of dana, because I'm selling the secrets. But it's a beautiful secret, because somewhere I believe we all know this, that everything is in the heart. And remember, the heart is understood in Buddhism a little differently, or traditionally in many oriental countries, the heart is understood a little differently than we think about it, because we think about the heart here and the mind here. But the word citta, which is translated as heart, is also translated as mind. They're the same word in the culture the Buddha came out of. Mm-hmm. So culturally, he th- when he, he would say citta, he could point to here. The, the mind hadn't separated from the heart. That's a Western progressive understanding or regressive understanding, either however you might think about it. And so everything is in the heart points to what's called the teachings of the brahma Viharas in Buddhism. And the brahma Viharas is also known as the four divine abodes, right? Brahma is, is, was a god in India, is a god in India, in, in that culture. And so, the, um, um, and Vihara means um, uh, abode. Right, it means house or home, and so the Buddha pointed. He gave a teaching that encouraged us to start to rest or land in our true home, which is the home of the gods, which is the home of the divine or the numinous or the or the luminous or the you know the other word that's used often in Buddhism is the nobility of ourselves, of who and what we are in essence. And so the Buddha said, he said, when standing, walking, sitting, lying down, in whatever posture I'm adding, I'm not going to add in Eugene, even when I give quotes, but when standing, walking, sitting, lying down, whenever one feels free of tiredness, let one establish well this mindfulness. This, it is said, is the divine abode." And so he was pointing at something that happens with meditation practice and Dharma practice in general. I think it's more accurate if I if I don't just say in meditation practice, but in dharma practice, because what we're, what we're being taught in the meditation is a twenty four seven practice. It's not just oh when we're silent on retreat, but it's now that we're practicing also, and because you're all being aware. And you're starting, you're hopefully being aware of whatever you're aware of, whatever's happening, however it is, and starting to let the space of awareness land here, or start to become more foreground instead of just the water that we're swimming in all the time, because it is the water we're swimming in all the time, as far as I can tell. And so the four divine abodes, or sublime states, or sublime abodes, um, are metta, karuna, mudita, and upeka. Those are the Pali words, so I'm using some of the Pali language that the Buddha used when he taught. Metta is translated as loving-kindness or friendliness. Loving-kindness or friendliness. Um, Karuna is compassion or kindness. Compassion, kindness. Um, uh, Mudita is translated as joy or sometimes um, uh, empathic joy. It's often relational joy, sympathetic joy are some of the ways uh, mudita is translated. And then... um, um, upeka is equanimity or balance and it's part of what's encouraged and what is, happens when the heart starts to wake up or when the heart and mind we could say it that way heart and mind using both those words starts to become free that these are, par, are the expression of the awakened heart And the Buddha said, he said, the holy life, really, and it's H-O-L-Y, but I also think of it as W-H-O-L-E-L-Y, meaning holy, when we're really here. When, we're, we be, when we start to become whole, because we're, we're open, we're aware of the totality of who and what we are and what the potential is for each person here, for each of us as human beings to start to discover or realize. He said this holy life, practitioners, does not have gain or honor or, and renown for its benefit nor does it have the attainment of virtue for its benefit, or, nor the attainment of concentration for its benefit, nor knowledge and vision for its benefit, but, is f- but it is for this unshakable deliverance of heart that, it, that is the goal of the holy life, its heartward and its end is for this unshakable deliverance of heart and mind. Could say it that way. It would be a totally accurate translation. For this unshakable deliverance of heart and mind that is the goal of the holy life. And so our practice is not just to understand everything in an intellectual way. It's to discover, to wake up to the heartfulness that is right here, that is part of being a human being. That is the potential for each of us as human beings is to ha- have the heart of a Buddha. And, you know, of course, one of the great examples that I often use is the, um, the Dalai Lama as one of a, an incredibly heartful being living here on the planet now and appreciate very thankful he's still alive. I think he's in his eighties now. Yeah, and you know, he won't be here forever. And he even has said he's not gonna be reborn, which is a radical thing, but he's so radical it might be a radical political thing is why he said that. Um, but that's a whole nother talk that I can give sometime. Um um, but he has such a heartfulness with each person he's with. And he's even got a heartfulness with people he doesn't like, which is really part of what's possible, because you hear it in how he talks about the people who have uh, conquered Tibet and how he speaks about them and how he can even be not happy about what they've done totally he can be totally real about that and still he sees it's their ignorance or their misunderstanding of reality that has caused them to cause other people meaning the tibetan people to suffer <clears throat> and so metta karuna mudita upeka, this is the possibility that just in our practice how we relate to ourselves moment by moment right, with friendliness or with kindness or with a little bit of joy because we're, we're just here and we won't be here forever. And a little bit of balance because we start to see things are happening on their own. We're not actually in control which is one of the things that is often difficult for us as human beings, but as far as I can tell, it's totally true. We're not in control of much. We're in control a little bit, and it's good to have good intention and right action, right? Really to respond skillfully, maturely, kindly, carefully, but also to see we're not in control and that things are happening on their own that what's here is not only me and mind and I and all of the usual ways we know ourselves from an ego-identified reality, but also there's this consciousness here that is totally open. That we're, or there's awareness here that is totally open. We could say it that way, and we're not in control of it at all. It's just happening, and things are happening and being known. It's kind of magical sometimes, and kind of, you know, not magical, not fun sometimes also. And so we're not saying, oh, it's just this or it's just that, but there's some balance because we begin to see how things are, and we're not responsible for everything we're responsible for our lives and what we can do and what we can't do but for the things we have no control of we're not exactly responsible for it. we're here we're part of the, the show of reality itself we're part of the dharma unfolding and so the the divine abodes or the sublime states are beautiful potentials for us to wake up and realize as part of our heartfulness. Ergen Tulku, who was quite wonderful, well-known Tibetan teacher uh, in the last century, He said, the supreme method for becoming quickly at home with our true nature is through love and compassion. The supreme method to become quickly at home with our true nature is through love and compassion. Is starting to cultivate those responses to reality, which is love and kindness which is friendliness and a kind of warmth and caring. And it takes us to these abodes, these divine realms, or these also sometimes called um, excellent or noble places, noble components of who we already are. It's already here, our, our, our heartfulness it may be unrealized, unrecognized, it may be it may be covered over for many good reasons right? It can be covered over from difficulty or trauma or or the kind of suffering we've experienced as we grew up as a kid or because of our, because maybe we're part of a minority or, you know, there's as we've noticed uh, especially lately in our world I'm I'm not I don't mean this is. that's not right Um, I'm trying to say something lightly about the political scene it's very hard to say it lightly Um, but there's a lot of prejudice you know depending on if you're a a woman or if you're uh, in a sexual minority or if you're whatever it might be if, if you're not uh uh, in the white American majority, supposed minority, majority, there's a lot of prejudice in the world these days. And so you, that starts to cover, cover over our heartfulness because we need to protect ourselves at times against prejudice, against bias, against discrimination in whatever form it comes. <clears throat> what's magical about the Brahma Viharas in the, in the Mahayana tradition they're called the four immeasurable hearts and minds the four immeasurable hearts the four immeasurable minds and they're they're states of consciousness that are boundless they're not bound in they're not just here or not just for one person right they're not they're not bound by exclusivity right they're considered unlimited in range and they're not bound by preference it's part of what i've said many times here it doesn't mean we like everybody it just means we love everybody and those are two different things. The preference is, oh, I don't like what this person is doing. I don't want to be around them. And, and that may be the right thing at times. But it doesn't stop our heartfulness, our, our friendliness to them, even when we don't want to be around them. It doesn't stop the loving kindness, because that's what's needed for the person who is suffering, who we may not like. And and we may both be suffering because of their whatever, but but it doesn't. The the Brahma Viharas, especially as one practices of them, it's not just for one person. It's for everybody. And, and when the Brahma Viharas start to actualize themselves, when they start to manifest. They radiate in every direction. They're not. There's not one direct. They're not just oh, just in San Francisco or in the Bay Area because it's a really good bubble. You know, it's for it's for all the different places. And so, when you're when you're formally practicing the Brahma Viharas, you do it for different um, different peoples and different places. And so you have different categories of beings that you start working with. Well, first you you do the brahma-viharas, your metta practice, your loving-kindness practice for someone who's been a benefactor for you, who it's easy to do. It's just natural. They were a teacher of yours, or a, a grandparent, or an aunt or uncle, or a family friend, or somebody who'd been a benefactor to you or maybe the first boss or somebody who have been really good, and it's easy to, to send love to them, to send friendliness to them. And then you start to do it for yourself, and you go back and forth between them and you and them and you. And then you might add in uh, regular friends who, you know, you like them most of the time, you know, you're happy with them most of the time. And so you're doing self, and benefactor, and friends, and then you start doing it for neutral persons, for people you don't know, but you pick, like if we were doing it here formally, I'd say, oh, pick somebody you don't know and do some loving kindness for them. And it's very interesting when you do this, especially on retreat, because you start doing this, and oh, you start loving this person. You don't even know them. You have no idea who they are, but it doesn't matter. And then, of course, you do the more difficult people, which are sometimes, which is literally called the difficult people, or or your enemies. You do loving kindness for them, and you start to practice in this way because you're letting the heart and mind be directed in a certain way, and it starts to build its own momentum because it's the heart being free and it's not bound by the personality, by Eugene's idea of what's who's good and who's bad, or who's right or who's wrong. It's the heart's boundlessness or freedom that starts to express itself. And so I've just given you the different categories of beings. And then also you do it spatially. Like if we were doing it here, we'd start here with ourselves, let's say, and then we'd do it for the whole room. And then we'd do it for San Francisco, everybody in San Francisco. And then we'd do it for everybody in California. right? Everybody, we include everybody, like them or not, we're going to include you. And, and then we start to do everybody in the United States. And then we'd start to include everybody in North America, and then South America, and then Africa, and then Europe, and then Asia. And, and then we start including the different continents of the world. And then start, we include the whole world. Mm-hmm. Like even now, if you just think about it, and, and I, know, I didn't say these, but like a very simple, the four basic phrases that are used for metta practice, for loving kindness practice are, um, may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I live with ease. Is it four basic wishes, right, that we all generally wish for ourselves. Sometimes we're not aware of them, but we all want to be uh, safe, happy, healthy, and live with ease, right? And then we start sending those wishes to other people. First, the whole room, and then the whole state, and then the nation, continent, the whole world. And it's beautiful to watch The heart, as Sharon Salzberg quoted in one of her books, grow as wide as the world. The heart can grow as wide as the world. And it's very hard to think our way there. That's hard to do. But when you do the practice, you watch it happen. Because the heart is as wide as the world. It's our our ego-centered self that's a little smaller than that. That's a little more individually oriented. <clears throat> and so the Brahma Viharas become a very practical part of practice because, first of all, they let us be mindful <coughs> of whatever is here in a friendly, kind, appreciative, and balanced way. Right? Whatever is here, even when we're falling asleep, we can wake up. I'm trying to get somebody to wake up right now, but he's sleeping too well. So enjoy your sleep. Um, <laughs> there you go. Hi. <laughs> good. I like sleeping a lot. So <laughs> I always appreciate it when I fall asleep <laughs> at a meditation. Um, and so it's very practical, the Brahma Viharas, because First of all, it removes tension because the heart's open, the heart's free, and also it becomes one of the real peacemakers in social relationships. We're not trying to hurt people. We're not just pissed at people, even though we get pissed at people. I'm not saying you get rid of that, but there's something bigger here than our being pissed at people. right? And it starts to heal the suffering that is part of everybody's <coughs> reality just because that's part of human reality. There's difficulty. It's not, it's not going to go away. It's part, but it heals because we become very kind to ourselves and very caring and very warm and very appreciative of the magic of the fact that we're alive at all and it also levels many of the social <coughs> barriers because it's what's needed to bring harmonious communities. And so the sublime states are um, when you practice like you, when you do this formally on retreat, you're just doing this 24-7. That's all you're doing <coughs> is doing the the phrases, whether you're doing, you know, loving kindness or compassion or or joy or equanimity, you're doing them 24-7 and you're living in that world and you just watch the heart open up. And so it's it's a meditation practice and you can get very absorbed in the meditation practice like that is all that's happening and it's a very powerful I remember the first time I did a, a, a meta retreat, I did a, a month-long meta retreat at Spirit Rock, and, uh, and I remember it was when I used to, I always used to sit in chairs for a long time, and, uh, but, I, but I would sit cross-legged in chairs. And I remember I sat night, and, and, and the practice that I had was like, and then the teacher, when I went f- to meet with the teacher, he said, well, how long did you sit just now? I said, oh, three hours. And, and I saw his eyes open a little. I thought, "Oh yeah, that was good. I impressed him." And, uh, <laughs> but meaning it, it, and the reason I could sit for three hours is the absorption in the experience starts to happen. There's not somebody thinking about the experience. There's just that experience happening, and it becomes all of reality for a while. Very powerful. And so there's, it's a meditation practice, it aims at absorption, and it's also a personal, practical practice because it's about how do we live our lives, right? And what's the appropriate direction of our heart and mind, moment by moment, in our daily lives, when there's a lot of everything, right? Everything, good things, bad things, liking, not liking, wanting, not wanting. Politics, not politics, whatever there is, and so the Brahma Viharas are not pointing at the emotions, even though the emotions are like surface levels of the of these deeper components of our heart, right? And um, and so what you what you begin to discover is the essence of the heart not just the emotion of the heart. Meaning you start to see love without any attachment, right? And Generally when we love somebody we're a little attached to them, but this is a love that's not based on attachment or it's compassion that is not just based on our own suffering, but seeing the dukkha, the difficulty if you're new, the word dukkha means suffering, that happens as part of human life. That's a normal part of human life. Or, or we can start to have joy and it's not about being excited about something, it's a sublime joy. It's the pleasure of being itself. And the equanimity that comes is not with indifference, it's balance. And of course if we practice in this way, we start to see and investigate, oh, what blocks our heart? What blocks our heartfulness? What covers it? What veils it? What obscures it? You know, and, and we'll find many different experiences that we've had or ways we've gotten shaped, physically, psychologically, mentally, emotionally, based on our lives. Right, that we have grief, or loss, or fear, or unmetabolized pain, or hurt, or judgment. And, as, and we're not trying to deny that at all, and we're not trying to just jump over that. But we are trying to see there's more to who and what we are than the dukkha that's happened to us, or the things that have hurt us. And practice starts to reveal that. Ajahn Sumedho said it this way He said, freedom is nibbana or nirvana. Freedom is nibbana, the realization of that non grasping state in which we experience true kindness, compassion, joyfulness, and serenity. Freedom is nirvana, the realization of that non-grasping state where we experience true kindness, compassion, joyfulness, and serenity. So I think I'll stop there. I have some other nice quotes. Maybe they'll come. Maybe it'll be appropriate. But uh, I like to take a little time with you all every week to see: okay, any response, thoughts about the Brahma Viharas, the talk, what I've said, interesting, not interesting, helpful, not helpful, questions, comments.
1: the first time uh, caller.
0: Uh, what's um, your name? Josiah. Josiah. I'm not quite catching. Josiah. Josiah. Yeah. Josiah. Great name. Is that like it's a Irish. biblical name? Yeah. Irish? Yeah. Yeah. Josiah. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Hi. You're, Philip, um, you were talking about
1: um, the Dalai Lama and the way that he can be in that place where he's seeing, um, you know, the people who cause all the suffering to Tibet to and, and even if he's angry about it, he sees that it's their suffering that's causing them to like more suffering. I think about how when I have that feeling or realization or awareness in life, I have a lot of friends that take sides and pile on in my, and I don't really know how to communicate that, mm-hmm. you know, that, mm-hmm. that, understand, that understanding, and I end up, you know, it's, it ends up feeling like a betrayal, like I don't care enough about the pain, or, uh-huh. so right. and,
0: uh, okay. I up, yeah. So here, so here's how I'm hearing it, um, you have friends who take sides, and they're, mad or upset about something and if you don't agree with them they're not so happy with you right and so it's not clear what to do how do you how do you because you're seeing you have a more balanced view at times yeah yeah you know that and that happens and that's very normal and remember you don't you can't push your view on anybody right that's one of the things and the dalai lama Knows that and you know that. But, and it's, so then the question becomes oh, is there something skillful I could say here or do here? Because they're suffering, right? Even if they're piling on, they're piling on because they're suffering. And so your presence, just in and of itself, becomes something different for them, even if you don't say anything. Right, And so that's something to not underestimate in general. Like, um, do you have children? So it's one of the things I learned, especially having a kid, was, oh, there's times you don't have to say something. It's just how you are becomes as important as what you say. And so it's the same thing for all of us. Sometimes we see someone, and they just stay balanced. Even when I'm having a hard time, I'm like, they catch my attention, like, oh, they know something. Even if I have no idea what they know, I get they know something, and I appreciate their balance. And so then the Brahma-Vihara's in that way, the equanimity that you may have, starts to be transmitted. And we're transmitting to one another all the time, and it's true. Are we transmitting anger, or are we transmitting kindness? or balance so yeah see keep paying attention when you're when that's happening and keep seeing oh what what might be helpful and what happens if there's nothing you can do because that's also true at times and the Buddha you know I've said this the Buddha times there were times he could stop wars if you read the text he could stop wars by speaking and there are times when he couldn't Because nobody's in control, even the Buddha, in that way. Thank you. Sure. Josiah, I like that name. (laughs) Who else? Who's going to take a chance? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: (laughs) Or not take a chance? Please. Don't, don't fall and take a chance so, um, speak right into the mic itself okay, so I'm struggling with how to relate to mr. Trump in with other than hatred and resistance <coughs> so in my heart um, and I found that what helps me is I mean if I just read about things and the words that are said and the actions that are taking, taken, it's very much harder for me to relate for my heart. But I've noticed that sometimes if I actually watch on television and not listen to what's being said, but just see the flesh and blood of another human being, right. then I can, I can find a place in my heart for that. Right. So you're making a really good point, an important point, because a lot of people, mm-hmm. not everybody, uh, meaning even here, and I'm not assuming everybody sees Mr. Trump one way or the other, but, um, but for a lot of people, <coughs> um, they're reading things that are very upsetting to them mm-hmm. and very hard to digest and very hard to stay uh, balanced about because there are a lot of imbalancing things being said. And, and so you're saying turning on the television allows you to see the human being and it allows a different part of you to function in response even to what you still don't like. And that's a really important piece is we stop to see the, we stop seeing the humanness of people. When, when we stop seeing the humanness of people, our hearts shut down, no doubt about it and what, what's paradoxical is we can still be angry or pissed and see the humanness and our hearts won't shut down because it's all human beings, the whole world, the whole and there's a lot of dukkha, there's a lot of dukkha in the world these days just an amazing amount it seems like to me and it's all just human beings and just like us and nobody knows what to do or or very few people act with maturity these days, especially with all the different countries <laughs> at war and and refugees who are not being cared for, etc., etc. <coughs> so seeing the humanness is really important because most people actually act a little kinder when they actually see the humanness and they're not just seeing what they think about the human being. Right, if, even if they're from a different culture or a different race or a different religion or a different nationality or something like that.
2: Okay.
0: thanks. I think maybe the mic's turned off. So oh, the mic
2: was turned off? I didn't seem to be doing
0: anything. Oh, okay. That's okay. It's getting Kitty to get up and talk uh, into it now. Hours. pick it up so it's right directly at your mouth.
2: Uh, Good evening, Uh, my name is Robert, I try to come here usually on Sundays. Um, I was very appreciative of Eugene uh, bringing up metta, because I think uh, a lot of meditation right now is focused on wonderful mindfulness but there's a a focus sometimes on kind of productivity and improvement and kind of awareness (laughs) for those purposes, Uh, but metta is, I always try to practice metta even if you have a daily practice at the end, usually I start with um, anapana, vipassana, and then metta. And it's so wonderful to channel your own focus and then kind of invert the vortex outward. So it's just something to remember when people are uh, practicing their own meditation. You're actually creating kind of an energy out which can come back into you. So.
0: Great. Let me say a couple things because um, what I'm going to do next week is talk more about meta itself, and I'll just and then the week whenever I'm back again, I'll talk about compassion and then etc. And we'll do a little more meta practice itself because some people, you know, you know how to do meta. Not everybody has done it, and it helps to do it and even do it um, a little bit. To just get a sense of oh, what does it mean to start to orient in this way from the heart, and you could do it at the end of a sitting as you're doing, it, or you can do it right at the beginning of the sitting, and then do um, just mindfulness awareness practice. And either way, it works really good. It starts to excuse me. It starts to change mindfulness practice itself because it starts to. The mindfulness comes from the heart, and is part of the heartfulness of practice. So, thank you. Here, I'll give you a, 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 one of the quotes I thought about reading, talking about the Brahma Vihara practice. It's attributed it's to Mother Teresa, although it may have come from somebody else, but she's more famous, so I give it to her. Um, She said, people are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyways. If you are kind, people may accuse you of being selfish, of ulterior motives. Be kind anyways. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyways. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. When, um, what, what you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyways. If you find sincerity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyways. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyways. Give the best you have, and it will never be enough. Give the best you have, and it will never be enough. Give your best anyways. And then her last line is, in the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyways. I have a question for you all. How come there's so little response to the talk? Was it really bad? <laughs> Was not interesting? Please. Um, from here. Yeah. Um, I think I'm I'm grappling with. Um. actually better if you come to mic, Then everybody can hear you. Thank you.
2: Nancy, I think I'm understanding what you're saying, but I'm still grappling with how to be authentic and have a stance and an open heart yeah. when something is happening that I think is wrong. Yeah. So there's still a sword, but not violence or aggression. There, there's still something to do. Yes. And how to do it, and still, uh, be uh, lovingly.
0: Well, well. It, well, here, why do you care about? There's something wrong happening
2: uh, because I think that um, also is important to have right action. And I think if you're if you're not if you see something wrong and there's no right. action, then you're complicit.
0: Right. Okay. So what I'm, here's what I'm trying to point at. I believe you're already taking a heartful stance because you care about something being done appropriately and not inappropriately. And so the heart's already there. So can you recognize the heartfulness that is there? That's what I'm pointing at. Because then you'll start to see the, the kindness, or the care, or the compassion, or the friendliness uh, that's already here, or the appreciation of human life that's already here and then the balance that becomes part of the maturity of what you're needing to do. Because if if we do things in an unbalanced way, often just creates more dukkha. So I'm I'm appreciating you saying something. (laughs) Okay? Does that make sense, what I said?
2: Yeah, I think if it's unbalanced, there can be an edge unhelpful edge in the energy and it
0: doesn't accomplish or it doesn't, it's not helpful it's not right, right. But, and also I just want to keep pointing at your heartfulness in, in my ear what's motivating you is your heartfulness right because if, if you didn't care yeah. you wouldn't do anything
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. okay thank you okay We'll, we'll stop there. You wanted to do the chant, though. Right? Oh, the chant, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Okay, you ready? This is Sabe Sata ho Hontu. And I'm a horrible chanter, but uh, you're just hearing my embarrassment. Sabe Sata Sanki Hontu. <speaking in the US> Sabe Sata Suki Hon Tu 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 Sa sabhesadhasuki May all beings be happy. May all beings be safe. May all beings be joyful. May all beings live with ease. May all beings be free from suffering. May we wake up together. May we all discover the reality of what's possible for us together as human beings to discover our Buddha nature, the nature of wisdom and compassion. Wishing all beings in all worlds freedom. Good to see you. I'll be here next week. We'll talk about loving-kindness, and we'll do some loving-kindness practice. Thank
1: you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.